Yeah, so self-compassion means it means offering to yourself the same care and and concern that you would offer to a close friend or a family member or some or a loved one, particularly like when they're having a hard time, right? So if you were coming to me and saying, you know, I'm I'm dealing with this thing with my daughter right now, it's really hard, I'm really struggling, I would say don't be so hard on yourself. You know, you're doing a great job. You're you're a wonderful mother. I'm Nicole Holcomb, attorney by day and podcaster by night, a former educator, school counselor, and administrator, and mom to a nine-year-old daughter with dyslexia, who loves all things Harry Potter, Minecraft, and science. A few years ago, she was identified with dyslexia, and our life seemed to turn upside down for a while, quite literally. I created the Dyslexia Mom Life podcast to help you navigate the upside-down journey of dyslexia. You got this. If you're wanting to thrive as a mom in this dyslexia journey, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. You are listening to the Dyslexia Mom Life podcast, episode 24. Today on the show, I am talking with Katherine Indy. She is the founder of the Family Life Coach business and parenting coach and social worker. We're going to talk all about mindful parenting. And Katherine is going to tell us what is mindful parenting, and she's going to share parenting tips and techniques with us today. I can't wait for you to hear this conversation. And if you're looking for additional dyslexia resources or resources to thrive as a mom, I recently created a resource library for my VIPs. Yep, just for you. To get access to the library, you would just go to the dyslexiamomlife.com and you would look for resource library. It's in the tab at the top. And as a bonus, I will also add you to my Monday email club where I'll share additional resources and information about the podcast. And you're going to want to make sure that you mark your calendar because we've got exciting things in store for you for 2021. On January 1st, 2021, I'm going to be opening the doors to my new membership for just a few days to a group of founding members. So if you want to know when the membership opens, you would just hop over to the website, dyslexiamomlife.com, and at the top, there's a little waitlist bar, and you would just click on that and add your email in, and I will keep you updated along the way what to expect about the membership, when it's going to open, and some additional information. Hope to see you over there. So without further ado, I want to introduce you to Catherine, and here's our conversation. All right, today on the podcast, we have... Uh, a special and uh, exciting opportunity to talk to Catherine Indy. She is known as the Family Life Coach, and I'm so excited to have her on the podcast. Uh, Catherine, welcome. Thank you so much. It's so great to be here. Well, it's a special treat to talk to you today because uh, a good deal of the content and the and the podcast that we have really talks about the specifics of dyslexia, but I also want to broaden the topics and talk a little bit about parenting and parenting skills and things that are going to help people. And I've been following you for a little bit now, and the things that you say and do really resonate with me, and I feel like they will really uh, hit home for a lot of the families that I work with. So I'm, I'm really excited to share you and your information today. Do you mind giving given uh, the audience just a little bit of information, a little bit of background about yourself? Sure. Happy to do that. So I am a parenting researcher and coach, and I have a background in social work. Um, I've been a social worker for about 
11 or 12 years now. Um, I'm currently getting a PhD in social work at the University of Maryland, where I study parenting stress, mindfulness, self-compassion, and emotion regulation. And I also have a private parent coaching business called the Family Life Coach. And I work one-on-one and in groups with parents of young children to help them learn emotion regulation, learn how to use connection, talk about emotions as a way of strengthening their relationship with their child and parenting sort of with the long game in mind. Great. And and I know one of the things that you talk a good bit about is uh, the term mindful parenting. Could you define that for us, what you consider to be mindful parenting? So mindful parenting means parenting with certain ideas and and concepts in mind, such as self-compassion being one of them, Um, listening with full attention. So really taking time to, you know, set down your phone, make eye contact and really listen to what your child has to say. Um, It also means being emotionally aware of of both your own emotional experience and also what's going on emotionally with your child and using intention and attention using a conscious way of approaching parenting to strengthen your connection with your child and to, you know, not parent on autopilot, but really parent intentionally and on purpose and with a particular focus in mind, you know, recognizing that particularly with with children, that, that having an emotional experience is part of childhood and it's part of being human. And so often we are so focused on behavior and managing our child's behavior in the moment and that sort of thing that we lose sight of the fact that having big emotions is part of the human experience. And so a mindful parenting really takes into account that emotions are part of human experience and that for for children, they're learning how to experience emotions, how to process those feelings. You know, emotions create all kinds of physical emotion, you know, physical experiences in the body as well. And so helping children to identify what those emotions are and use language eventually to express those emotions. So it's really a process of awareness, attention, and, you know, and keeping in mind that emotions are part of the human experience. And then also, you know, having compassion for yourself as a parent, because this is a real challenging journey to parent any human, you know, and I would think particularly a child with a diagnosis who has additional challenges that present, you know, additional challenges for the family. So keeping self-compassion at the forefront is really a huge part of mindful parenting. And it's part of my research is looking at, you know, is mindful parenting, is self-compassion and emotion regulation, are those sort of the key ingredients in mindful parenting, you know, and, and are those the things that most associate with lowered parenting stress? Thank you for sharing that. That's, that's very helpful. I was actually, it's funny that you were talking about emotional uh, regulation. I was just talking about that yesterday on the Facebook, in the Facebook group about homework and how, you know, as we start out working on homework, sometimes we bring the stress of our day into that, or we bring our own, you know, uh, anxiety about homework. And so we talked a little bit about that yesterday because I, you know, I, I do see a lot of correlations between the work you're doing and parenting, you know, children in general, obviously, but also, you know, really working with children that may even have a high, a higher barometer for emotions and regulation of those emotions and, and being able to identify and have conversations because, I don't know about for you, but growing up, that was not a big emphasis of that as far as 
being on the receiving end of that as a child. And so it's very interesting that the work you're doing and really helping families to, to really take a step back. And like you said, not focus so much on you did that right. Or you, you know, you cleaned your room. That's what I wanted, but really, you know, being in tune with them and being attentive to them, you know, that's something that, that that's a, a way a parent wants to parent. I do. I want to be very mindful about the way I do things and what I model, because I know when she becomes a parent, you know, she may adapt many of the things that she experienced as a child. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love the self-compassion piece because I feel like as moms, you know, things are so, I mean, we always, things were always busy for a mom, but today in the society we live in, it just seems, you know, from the research I've read as well. And then from just experiencing it, there's just so many more demands on moms. It feels like anyway, than maybe for our own moms. And so I think that self-compassion piece is also another interesting piece to, to mindful parenting. So if someone's sitting there thinking, well, what does she mean by self-compassion? Do you have an example? Is it self-care or what, what does it look like? Yeah, so self-compassion means, it means offering to yourself the same care and, and concern that you would offer to a close friend or a family member or, some, or a loved one. And um, particularly like when they're having a hard time, right? So if you were coming to me and saying, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with this thing with my daughter right now, it's really hard, I'm really struggling. And then you started telling me all the ways in which you were beating yourself up about it. Of course, I would say, don't be so hard on yourself. You know, you're doing a great job. You're, you're a wonderful mother to her. And the fact that you're concerned about these issues is really shows your commitment to parenting. And you know, I would say all of these things because I recognize you as a whole and worthy human being who's doing her best as a, as a mom, right? And so if we can turn that language inward and say to ourselves the things that we might say to a close friend or, or family member when they're struggling, this uh, soothes the nervous system of the brain actually and, and helps you to be able to show up in a you know, it more fully as a parent. And, you know, it, it's, it's true that we are, we are usually our, our own worst critic. And um, I think that will probably be familiar to many of, of your listeners that um, particularly around parenting, we, we tend to think I'm screwing this up. You know, should I, I always joke, like, should I be saving for therapy instead of college? <laughs> like, am I, you know, am I screwing up my kid? And, and we, we are very much aware that the choices we make as parents affect our children in the long term. And that's a good thing. However, it does lead us to be very hard on ourselves when things aren't going the way we hope they would go, or our children are behaving in a certain way that we don't like. We, we tend to think that it's all our fault. When in reality, just the awareness of how is my how are my choices as a parent affecting my child that shows a commitment to a, a form of mindful parenting really that we're aware that we're you know we're making choices as a parent and that those things do affect our kids i want to go back and address the the point that you made too about emotions and homework because i think that you hit hit it right on the head that what we bring to the conversation or the situation with our child is so important to be aware of. And that's where that emotional awareness piece comes in because we, you know, we sometimes go through life just a little bit numb or like not really thinking about what our own emotional experience is, but homework is a great example. You know, if you or someone, you know, if, 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 if you're a parent who had a hard time in school or finds the work 
really stressful or, you know, you're looking at some geometry and you can't remember how to do geometry. And so you're worried about your ability to help your child with the work that stress and that anxiety translates into the interaction with your child when in reality what's going on is that there's it's almost like your former self or your younger self is coming into the present moment and is offering all this stress and anxiety that's not helping the situation so being aware I think the first step is really being aware of what's going on in your own head and in your own heart what's what are those thoughts that are racing through your mind and and what are the emotions that are being caused by those thoughts? So if your thoughts are, geometry is really hard, I don't remember how to do this, I'm worried that I won't be able to help her, then you're gonna have all these feelings of anxiety and stress and not good enough and all these things, right? And so, so much of self-compassion is being aware of what you're saying to yourself and consciously choosing to say kind and supportive things to yourself because you're. it doesn't help you be a better parent to tell yourself that you're doing a bad job. It it actually just makes things worse. So I think that, you know, developing some, some, some phrases and some, some words that you can say to yourself, some sentences that you can say in your own head to remind yourself of what a good job you're doing is really powerful for that self-compassion piece. Thank you. That's, that's, that's very helpful because, uh, you know, obviously I'm in agreement with those things as well. And, you know, I think back to, uh, you know, just talking about the whole topic of mindful parenting and self-compassion, and there's just, you know, a, a good bit that we could unpack there. But, you know, I appreciate that you shared, you know, because that was going to be my next question is, you know, if if I'm listening and I think, you know, I do want to do this differently as a parent, I love that you already shared that the first step is really just being aware of how you're feeling and how you're responding and what your reactions are to things. But what are some other pieces? Like if, if someone's listening and they think, Oh, I would, I would like to to learn more about this, or I would like to start kind of doing this. Do you recommend journaling? Do you recommend, I know you said a little bit of self-talk. Uh, what are some things we could do if we find, because we're human, right? So I, I do, as, as every parent, I'm sure, find myself saying, and math was an interesting example, because <laughs> I try to be very, my daughter actually excels very well in math, uh, fortunately, so we're excited about that, but I do not. So I'm very cautious around her. I, I try... Um, I try to uh, be very positive about that because she is very interested in math and science. And so those were fields I, I struggled in as a student. And so I try to be positive and not let her see that side of that for me because I don't want to influence what she wants to do. I want her to choose what she's enjoying. So as we have those, I guess that self-talk that is negative and we all know that's not good for us. You know, what advice do you have for us to 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 turn that around? Is there, like you said, some phrases we should be using? Or, I mean, how do we kind of get started on that journey? The first step really is to cultivate some awareness of what your thoughts are that you're having and what your feelings are that you're having. And, you know, I think that just comes with being intentional about choosing to be aware of it. And so, you know, you mentioned journaling. Um, I do have a process that I do every morning where I have a couple of prompts that I use for myself to just check in, like, how am I feeling? What's my intention for today? And, you know, some other things that just help me to bring a little bit of focus to myself and my own experience. And I find that that's so powerful for setting my day up so that I am choosing to show up in the way that I want to show up as a parent rather than just kind of going into default mode. And 
you know, to your point about your own feelings about math and science and, you know, some of the things that our children might be interested in or excel at that we didn't excel at, or, you know, it's fascinating to watch our children emerge as their own beings and their own people. It's very, it's very rewarding and and thrilling, I think, as a parent to sort of see that process. But we do also kind of compare ourselves to our kids in some ways, right? Like I'm, I wasn't good at math and science. Wow. How did, how did I end up with a child who's really into math and science? And, and so I think being aware of, you know, what's yours and what's your child. So what's you and what's your child? What's, what's your experience that you're bringing into the present moment and what is actually going on with your child? And then recognizing that, you know, you are separate from your child and you can show up and be supportive of them and support their interests. But it's really important to to note that it's not simply about just being positive and putting on a happy face and denying the fact that you might be feeling some anxiety or some, you know, uncomfortable feelings around those topics, that it's important to recognize them and, and integrate them into who you are today. So what I mean by that, maybe, maybe an example would help. So when my middle daughter was uh, probably three years old, she, um, her brother, who's actually a little bit younger, you know, did something to hurt her, hit her or something like that. And she came into the room crying and I found myself getting really angry at her and stopped myself and became aware of it. Like, why am I angry at her? She's crying. She's the victim in this moment. And I should be supportive of her experience. And what I realized is that as the youngest child in my own family and the only girl in my own family, I sometimes was teased and, you know, pushed around by my older brothers. And so what I recognized in her a part of me that felt victimized at times. And, and so I was angry that she wasn't like standing up for herself. And, and so I had to recognize I am not my child and I am not my child. My, my experience is not my child's experience. She's having her own experience in the present moment. And so there was a need for me to kind of capture that experience that I had and integrate it into, you know, now I'm an adult and now I get to choose. And now I need to show up for my child who's having this emotional experience, which has nothing to do with my own emotional experience. So, you know, you've probably experienced, and I'm sure your listeners have experienced that parenting can be very, very triggering of our own past experiences. Like I sometimes say that having a child is like walking around with a mirror in front of your face all the time, because we see aspects of ourselves and we remember things about our own childhood and all of these emotions get stirred up. So cultivating awareness of those experiences and those thoughts and those emotions helps us to integrate them into the present moment. And, and, and self-compassion is a huge piece of that because it's important to recognize the wounds of our own childhood. It's important to recognize when, you know, that we might've had a negative experience or that um, we might've been told something that wasn't the most positive thing or, or, you know, as you pointed out, many of us were parented in a way that did not acknowledge our emotional experience. So it's important to have compassion for ourselves that we had that experience, but now we're adults and now it's our job to resolve those things so that we can show up fully for our kids. Yes, absolutely. And, and, you know, a piece of this that I don't know if you're aware or not. So another piece of this too, I think is 
dyslexia is hereditary. And in our case, we didn't know, but many families know going in that there's dyslexia in their family. So they, they know kind of what to watch for. We didn't realize it was, it was in our family at the time, but I think for families that are going through this journey specifically with their child, that's been identified as dyslexic is you do start seeing some of those things. Cause I know like in our household, we'll read about something or something will happen. And my husband will say, Oh, well that makes sense now why I did that. And so he's now reflecting on things that happened, you know, early on in school or even maybe even a week ago why he couldn't remember something. And so now he's actually learning things about himself. So I think that that self-compassion piece is big for families going through this journey as well, because it's another added layer that you do have to be aware of because, you know, more likely than not, someone in your household or a grandparent, someone close to your family unit has gone through uh, struggling to learn to read, struggling with writing, maybe struggling with math, you know, some type of dyslexia. And so not only just that parenting piece and growing up piece, but also that piece of maybe it did go unidentified and maybe you didn't learn, you know, I interviewed a gentleman a few days ago and he's like, you know, I didn't, I didn't learn to, to write my name till fifth grade. Well, I'm sure that impacts the way he parents, right? Or maybe it triggers things for him. And so I think that we as parents, um, there's always that piece there of what we experienced as a child. But I think those layers of dyslexia also creep into um, who we are. They're just part of the fabric of who we are, but also the way we parents. So I think um, that's why I just I really resonate with with what you're doing and the work that you're doing, because I think it's just so important to the families that are struggling, trying to make sense of this for themselves and their children at the same time. Yes, absolutely. And I think that it, it's such an important thing to recognize, too, that our children can serve as our teachers too, that we learn more about ourselves when we have children, just in the way that you're suggesting that we, we see patterns in our children's behavior, the way their brains work. And we reflect back, wow, that, oh, that thing that, that I experienced, maybe it was related to dyslexia, or maybe it was related to, you know, another diagnosis that, you know, I, I know so many adults who, you know, get diagnosed with something later in, in adulthood because their child got diagnosed with it. ADHD is a great example of that. There's so many parents who get, who get diagnosed with ADHD because their parent, their child went to get evaluated. So I think it's, it's such a great point. And, and, you know, offering yourself compassion for the fact that, you know, I mean, an adult diagnosis of something is a great example because you might have feelings of regret or I wish my parents had, identified this sooner or, you know, all these kinds of things. And it's important to recognize and, and offer yourself the compassion that it's not your fault. You didn't know, it, you know, your parents probably didn't know they're doing the best they can. And, you know, I think that that phrase, we're doing the best we can, um, is such a powerful um, mantra for parents, you know, I'm doing the best I can. I'm the best parent for my child. I, you know, um, even just, I love myself, you know, putting your hand over your heart and saying, I love you to yourself. It can be very hard for some people to do that, but I think it's a great practice to just get in the, get in the space of expressing love to yourself. And that teaches our children to love themselves too, right? Like, it's like, it's like a thing we want for other people in our lives. And yet we find it so hard to, offer that compassion and love to ourselves. So some of the 
way that this influences parenting is just modeling for our kids, self-love and self-compassion, letting ourselves off the hook, allowing ourselves to be imperfect, allowing ourselves to make mistakes. Yes, absolutely. Cause that happens. <laughs> absolutely. And I appreciate you sharing some of those pieces too, as far as, you know, some things that we can say and, uh, and be reflective of as we're aware of our emotions and being more intentional. Um, I did want to ask you another question. It's a little bit different than what we're talking about, but I think it's all still related, which is I talked about earlier as far as, as for moms, I can just speak for myself. You know, it just seems like things are, are always just, they just feel so busy. And I know that, you know, people say, you know, I've, I've tried to make a conscious effort, for example, not to say I'm overwhelmed because then I'm choosing to be overwhelmed. But I was curious, I know that you do a good bit of work also around, you know, time management strategies and things that you recommend. And I just wondered if you would mind sharing maybe just your favorite time management strategy or hack or something that you you do as a parent that you feel like it, it really has kind of opened your eyes up to, to give you, you know, a, a different day and give you more of a um, opportunity to be more mindful about your day. Yeah, absolutely. So I probably about two years ago learned about the concept of time blocking. And this basically is a practice that is, it actually, I think of it as a mindfulness practice in the sense that rather than letting my day unfold and sort of happen to me, I am consciously choosing how I want to spend my time and being very intentional about making sure that the most important things get done in the time, not even necessarily first, but that they get done when I have the right energy for them. So for example, some people work best early in the morning. So if you have a task that requires a lot of thought and focus, you might want to get up early and do that first thing in the morning. I'm someone who writes best kind of later in the afternoon and into the evening. So when I have writing tasks to do, I tend to block off time later in the day. It's also when my kids' school is over and you know that things tend to quiet down, believe it or not, um, in the later afternoon because they're off doing homework and, and other activities outside. So you know, just to summarize quickly how this process works, I basically, in the beginning of the week, I write down every single thing I have to do, whether it's, it could be anything from laundry to writing an article or working on my dissertation to, you know, planning the meals for the week, every single thing I can think of that needs to get done gets written down on a list. And then I prioritize, you know, what are the things that are really most important to get done? Like if nothing else got done this week, what are the things that would absolutely move the needle or must get done to keep the children alive? <laughs> and then um, and then I block out time in the, in the day throughout the week to to schedule when I'm going to do those things. And, you know, so there's a whole, there's a whole method to this and there's certainly more to it than I can summarize in the brief time that we have together. But, but I have found this to be very effective for making sure that my work gets done in a, in an, in in an intentional way during a time when it works best for my focus and my energy. And then that allows me to be more available to my kids when they are done with school and we're together as a family. So it allows me to not let work bleed into family life so much. Yes, I love time blocking. It used to be that I always thought multitasking was such a badge of honor. And then I realized a few years ago, multitasking is is really um, just... <laughs> taxing and I'm not, I'm not giving that hundred percent focus that I could. So I too 
like to time block because it just seems like I can, you know, you can concentrate on that one thing and give it a hundred percent and knock it out. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that's something that you're, you're using as well. Cause it, it really does make a difference. It does. And I'm, I'm actually teaching this method to my teenage daughter too, because she's, you know, she's in high school now and, and learning to kind of manage her time and her tasks that need to get done. So we're, you know, we're, we're nowhere near totally there yet, but we are working on developing those habits early in life because you're so right that, you know, multitasking is actually not the way. And and there's all that research now that shows that that just splits your focus and, and makes it even harder to get things done. So I love time blocking. I find it really effective. And to get back on task too, because I know even from, for my day job, when I'm working, you know, somebody will send me an email and I try to do my best to, you know, have those notifications off. So, you know, I can work a good hour, hour and a half and then go check, you know, if I need to check, cause I think my boss is going to send me something or just, it's an expectation. You know, it seems like nowadays it's just that expectation that you're always on and you're always available. Um, and so I think that that's, you know, that, for me, that's difficult because I realize how much that is taking away from uh, my time with my family or maybe even the stress level that you feel because you feel pulled in so many directions. And so I think when you let people know, hey, you know, I, you need to call me if you need me because I'm not checking texts or I'm not checking emails right now, like I'm working on some things at work. And so um, because it does, it seems like when I, you know, I do, if I get in the habit, you know, fall back in that habit of checking emails throughout the day, then I find like every 20, 30 minutes I'm interrupted. And then I have to, you know, you have to start all over again almost to get your mindset back to what you were working on. Absolutely. Absolutely. hundred percent. And I, you know, I think that we, many of us were raised without great boundaries. And so learning to set boundaries around our time can be really challenging. And, and yet I think it is the kindest thing to do is to just say, I'm not available during this time and I will respond to your email at the end of the day. And like you say, you know, if you really need me, you can call me, but I'm trying to focus on these tasks that need to get done. And I check email, you know, in the morning and at five o'clock or whatever. Right. Absolutely. And we won't even get into social media because that could be a whole nother episode. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let me ask you this. What is the best mom advice that you've received that you would like to share with the audience today? I love this question. Actually, it it applies very directly to what we were just talking about in terms of time management. Um, So when I was pregnant with my oldest daughter, I was working with a photographer and um, her advice to me was actually has nothing to do with photography. Um, But her advice to me was to write my to-do list in the morning and then um, cross off everything, but the top three things. So any, you know, everything that was least important got crossed off the list there would be three things left on the list and then feel great about myself. If I got one of those things done. (laughs) That's great advice. I love it. So, you know, it really does. It connects to like lowering your expectations of yourself and self-compassion and recognizing that when you have a newborn, you're probably not going to get much done. And when you're a new parent, you tend to forget or not realize that raising an infant, raising a newborn, caring for a newborn is all consuming. (laughs) And so if you were previously a person who was very productive and got a lot of things done, um, it it was a, it was a real demonstration to me to, to lower my expectations and still feel good about myself as a person who like got one thing done. 
Yeah, and it really, I mean, it goes right back to what you were saying earlier about being intentional with your day. So if you're setting your intentions for the day of this is the this is the priority for today, then it really does go along with that piece as well, I would think. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much for being with us today, Catherine. I always enjoy connecting and talking with you. How can people connect with you? I know you've um, you've got some some things that you offer, but I know you also have some great uh, pieces of um, you know just content out there as well. So, what's the best way for people to connect with you? So, my website is probably the the most efficient way to get me. It's www.catherinend.com, and on my website, there's a free mini course available to parents who want to uh, cultivate some ways to manage difficult child behaviors without resorting to bribery or punishment. Um, it's called How to Manage Difficult Toddler and Preschooler Behaviors Without Resorting to Bribery or Punishment. Um, <clears throat> That is available on my website for free. And I would suggest that if you have readers or listeners who are parents of older children, that the content in there definitely still applies. I also have uh, a a one-on-one parent coaching practice um, called the Family Life Coach. It's all the information about that is right there on my website. So if anyone's interested in learning more about parent coaching, um, you can go to my website and read about that there and contact me that way. All right, great. And I'll put all those links in the show notes too so people can can get that pretty quickly in case they're driving or, or walking or running. That way they won't have to worry about writing that down. We'll make sure we have that available for them. Excellent. You know, there's one other thing that I've, that I've put together for your listeners if you want to offer this um, free download is the self-compassion meditation. And we can hook that up in the show notes as well. It's a quick little three-minute meditation for cultivating loving kindness toward yourself. I love that. Yes, that would be perfect. All right. Thank you so much for sharing and being with with me today and sharing uh, your work and your passion with us. We really do appreciate it. Great talking with you. Thanks for listening today. To connect with Catherine, go to the show notes for this episode at dyslexiamomlife.com backslash episode 24. And that's the number two four. Have a great week and remember, you got this. Next Monday, Mary Ann will be back on the podcast sharing all about advocating for your child. You're not going to want to miss this one. Go enjoy your week and I look forward to seeing you back here on Monday.